Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. This is the post or current COVID edition of the podcast. I had it last week. Doug seems to have it at the moment. I what happened was I got the shot and yeah, I've been sick for 10 days since then. So which will make this a mellow edition of the <laughs> podcast. Have you been able to watch all these NFL games or are you falling asleep? Yeah. No, that I did fall asleep during the second one yesterday, but probably the best part of being under the weather is like feeling absolutely no guilt in sitting down and watching hours and hours of, of professional football, um, of which I have practically no ties when it comes to the NFL playoffs. My team's the New York Giants, and they haven't been in the playoffs in like seven years. But uh, yeah, some great football, great football weekend. The Giants were relegated, Doug, I think. I think they're in... <laughs> Might as well be. Might as well be relegated. Yeah, okay, put them well... Up against uh, Ted Lasso's team. Yeah, I've got sort of two... I mean, the NFL this time of year is always going to be a prime story. Before we get to that, Major League Baseball is meeting today, January 24th. I think it's the first first real meeting between the players and the owners since the lockout began. And, you know, look, it's, it's late January. Opening day is a few months away. Seems like there's time. But you know, the reality on this stuff is that Spring training starts, I think, middle of February. And so if things are starting to become in jeopardy, unless the two sides find some, find some resolution, it's, um, it's an interesting negotiation. I, I think the, when, you, when you read the press reports, and I don't know how closely you follow this, this side of the, the business, Doug, when you read the press reports, it sounds like the owners don't know what the players really want. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, how incentivized are the players here? Are they, are they losing money if they don't play, or is it kind of in their contracts regardless that they're, they're going to be paid as if there's a season? Yeah, I don't know. that. I, I can't imagine that contracts generally have this and that, that type of insurance. Because if, if you think about what's going on here, if the owners lock the players out, 
the owners would still be on the hook to pay the players. That would be a right. very, you know, uh, I'm not, maybe there's some players that have that type of clause in there. I would guess it's not, I would guess it's not widespread. I, just, I would imagine they'd be a little bit less incentivized to get the ball rolling if, if they're about to get paid as if they're playing to not play. It's kind of like when a coach gets fired in college football and they get another three years of millions of dollars without actually having the, the stresses of the job. But at this point, you know, post-COVID, who knows what people have written in? I mean, who would have thought that we would have lost, a, you know, a good chunk of the season to to a disease, to a pandemic, right? And so yeah. are there, you know, insurance policies on the side? I don't know. Um, is the season... You know, I'm a professor at Emory University, and we are going back to live performance on January 31st. It, it's an interesting reaction I get when I tell people that we're going back to the classroom. Some people look at me like, well, it's about time. And other people look at me and go, what are you guys are you crazy? crazy? <laughs> right. Right. You, you know, you look at some of the data and you look at some of the, the communications and it seems like. There's this strange back and forth between everything is a, in a complete crisis and everything is also needs to get back to normal immediately. I don't think yeah. any of the pro leagues have talked about pushing away you know, constraints due to COVID. Have you heard anything? Um, no, not, not as of late. Um, you know, the one thought that came to my mind is I wonder how this changes things moving forward with with contracts i wonder you know i'm sure there's all kinds of clauses um in regards to having a lost season but i can almost guarantee moving forward there will be a some form of pandemic clause in every professional sports contract because i'd imagine uh the franchises and the leagues don't like paying out money to to folks who aren't uh working while, while there's downtime due to due to illness but i i have a hard time imagining we see any kind of shut down or increased measures um across these professional leagues unless there's some kind of variant that's that's got a 50 percent mortality rate or something um simply because of the incentives you know it, it, it doesn't make sense for them it's not in their own self-interest people tend to do what's in their own self-interest well yeah the the additional variance on the horizon is always part of this story the um, the player side of the negotiation is interesting to me. And, and look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think the other, and this probably as a marketing guy is why this enters my head, is to which side is the public going to take in this negotiation? Will the fans side with the players or will the fans side with the owners? What's your, right. what's your gut feel on that, Doug? Um, I feel like players tend to side. I mean, excuse me. Fans tend to side with uh, with players uh, in general. I, I think of like uh, the NFL draft booing Roger Goodell every time he's on stage. Um, it's easier to to criti criticize these you know white guys in suits than it is your favorite superstar athlete who goes out there and gives you the moments uh, that that are lifelong memories for you. So I think it's kind of natural for fans to. Uh, to to lean toward the players on that one, and I would expect that regardless of if it's the rational thing to do. You know, even if if the players are being unreasonable and the managers, um, you know, the league execs are are the ones trying to trying to get the ball rolling, I I really expect 
you know, them to be the bad guys to, to fans. Well, and, and that's a good way to put it because when I think about, it, I don't even I, like, I don't even think about reasonable versus unreasonable in these things. <laughs> I think it's that's just pretty more subjective. about, you know, how does what each side want affect the fans? You know, the, the players want things like they want to eliminate the ability of teams to tank, right? So yeah. maybe they want higher minimum payrolls. They want to move up the the competitive balance or the luxury tax tax so the Yankees don't feel the the bite of higher payrolls. They mm-hmm. want to um, <coughs> reduce the amount of time. They they want players to be able to hit free agency quicker. So the the players essentially want teams to spend more money. I tend to think though that what the players are asking for. And I think that what the players are asking for, for young players to be able to leave small market teams sooner, for the big market teams to be able to have these mega payrolls without paying the luxury tax, probably ends up hurting the competitive balance levels that the fans might, you know, the fans in San Diego and Pittsburgh and Cleveland might be more interested in. Yeah, they want less parity, essentially, is what you're saying. And, you know, it's crazy to think about, but... Uh, with college sports kind of being the uh, the the staple for players not having enough power for so long, and now all of a sudden it seems like maybe the MLB those players want the amount of power that the college players have these days. Where like I want to be able to jump ship <laughs> whenever I want. I want to be able to jump on a stack team. I want to be able to stack a team without any consequences. Like. That that all sounds pretty familiar. It sounds like the state of college sports in this day and age. Um, so it, it's crazy how fast things have swung to the point where you know professional athletes are, and of course they're they're higher paid. But as far as their actual, you know, the amount of power they have on the the parity of the league, uh, the power they have over where they play, uh, they want the power of a college athlete. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought anyone would have said that, right? Yeah. And I mean, two years ago. What do we see the news today that Georgia potential number one wide receiver? Yeah. We almost uh, had a J- scenario where, Doug, you mentioned to me that you've never seen the movie Semi-Pro with Will Ferrell. <laughs> right. That movie actually has a scene where a player is traded at halftime between two yeah. teams and switches I mean, jerseys. I, you know, at, at what point does that happen in, in college football? We've had games. Georgia's had a number of games, uh, particularly against Alabama. We'll just use them as an example. You know, Alabama at one point had three quarterbacks that are starters in the NFL now, um, and, and Georgia d- didn't have a single one. And it felt like, okay, at halftime, could we get that guy to tra- one of their backups to transfer over to start for us so that we can be competitive with them? Uh, but that's what we're seeing. You know, of course, Jermaine Burton transferring to Alabama, much like uh, Jamison Williams last year at Ohio State. I mean, that was another team that very easily could have been playing Alabama in a, in a national championship type situation. So, um, it, you know, it's not unprecedented, but for, for a player that just won the national championship against a team to transfer to that team, I, th- I do think, I don't know if that's ever happened. And, and I'll say this, I think he's, he's going to have a lot of success. I think Jermaine Burton's a, a phenomenal player. And I think Georgia fans are going to hate him. And, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, does it pay off? We'll see. Because, you know, could he jump from the second or third round in the draft to the first round? Yeah. There's also the chance that he doesn't. And, and now he's kind of tarnished his reputation in Georgia where we know 
anyone that's a part of a championship team can just about make a lifetime worth of money from having been on that team and, and stand, you know, have, being a good standing with the fans. So it's a really interesting world um, this day and age. But the player absolutely has the power at this point, and it's almost as if the coaches have to recruit them constantly as they play. But to bring this back, right? Where do the players not have the power? And I mean, your your, your point was well taken. That suddenly we've seen this dramatic change from college players essentially signing away their all their <laughs> rights. Yeah, a, a couple of years ago. Right. To now, the the most abused players out there are, you know, young major league baseball players, or you know, look, Doug. I think the most abused player out there is probably the NFL running back, right? Yeah. Looking at trying to get to that second or third contract when he plays a position that has a you know an expected lifetime of about two and a half years, two three years, yeah, yeah. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, in a, on the flip side with the running backs, a lot of times what you'll see is a guy have their best years. I think about Todd Gurley, have his best years off that rookie contract, and then the team will, will sign him as if he's going to, or they'll pay him as if he's going to continue to perform at that level for the next 10 years, uh, which rarely happens. So I think teams are figuring that out, and they might be more willing to let a all-pro caliber running back walk after his first contract, simply betting against, you know, the the expectation of that player continuing to perform at that level i don't know that we've seen that yet but it wouldn't surprise me in the coming years well and you know what that's uh i think sort of a nice because one of the things you're getting at there is that teams have responded teams have responded to the rules of the game the the when some younger players are cost controlled they've responded by adopting strategies that fit those rules of the game now, you know, that that era, and I think it was a brief era where running backs like Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott and mm-hmm. Levian Bell were getting paid. I suspect that era is going to be a lot, there's a lot more constraints coming into that after how all of those guys turned out in the next, in the next couple of years. Um, Doug, this is, so look. MLB, maybe the season's in jeopardy, kind of an exciting thing to watch. The negotiations are starting to play out. Fun stuff that's probably a little bit terrifying to the baseball fan out there. But this time of year is all about the NFL. We just had a weekend where, well, I didn't get the quarterback stories that I wanted for the NFL for the championship games. I know, I know. But NFL fans got, what, four walk-off, game enders generally regarded i think as one of the best weekends of football that's what of i keep all seeing time. Yeah. setting up the nfl always wins right storylines yeah. are set up for next week to go well you know they would have won if it had been aaron Rodgers and tom brady setting up a, a rematch and a you know historic matchup between two of the all-time greats and they win with it being what Jimmy Garoppolo and matt stafford kind of the underdog quarterbacks winning in the nfc and so um yeah, it's it was a heck of a weekend. You know, I don't know if you could rig it any better as far as the outcome of the games, except for, of course, the infamous overtime win for the Kansas City Chiefs, um, where fans are are pointing out the the problem with the rules in the NFL. This is kind of classic fans mad at executives, mad at the guys in suits. <coughs> well, what terrible for rules for ruining the fun? I mean, how do how do you Say defend what? those rules? 
Yeah, I I think the only def- the only good defense I've seen is uh, what about defense? You know, like you, if you're going to win a championship, you ought to be able to get a stop just like when you need it. Um, but the problem is this day and age, the NFL, especially quarterbacks like Mahomes and Josh Allen um, are so great that a game like that, you know, whoever got the ball was going to win. And everybody knows that. So it really comes down to a coin toss and, uh, and then maybe getting lucky on defense, maybe one bad throw. But I think everyone knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, and it's, it's, in my opinion, it's a shame that uh, it comes down to that. But like I said, I think the defense is like, well, you know, maybe they should get better on defense in the NFL. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they should learn how to stop these guys so it's not just a shootout. Okay, looking forward. My game that I'm looking forward to the most next week is going to be is that Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes matchup. Um, yeah. I'm loving this Joe Burrow kid. And again, you know, I don't look at things strictly as a sports fan. I, I look at it as like brands and marketing. Joe Burrow with those, one of those rose tinted glasses and mm-hmm. some of the fashion choices. Who would have thought? the funnest player in the NFL remaining would have been a guy out of Cincinnati. Yeah, pretty great. Um, a couple of Cincinnati fans I follow Sorry, on Twitter. With an, and, and the Cincinnati Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals, with the quarterback with maybe the most swagger remaining and <laughs> a frankly, an arrogant kicker. Yeah, well, and yeah, exactly. Um, and since when was that a thing? Kickers used to be kind of the nerds and the dorks out there. And now they're out here like beating their chest and like flexing, and these guys are alphas all of a sudden. It's great. <laughs> it's great to see. Um, but but yeah, Joe Burrow. One interesting thing about him, uh, just as far as his brand, I went and watched him twice in college uh, when he was in college. Um, once at LSU and once at the SEC championship. Both matchups, Georgia LSU. Um, Georgia fans to this day love Joe Burrow. They love him. They're all rooting for him like like he played for Georgia because we say I was there. I watched him dominate Georgia and caught the one of the best Georgia defenses ever and he just tore him up. It was amazing and I was there for it or you know, I witnessed that in real time and that kid is something special. But I've never seen a player, I mean pretty much any SEC fan that I know, even Alabama fans um who who of course, you know, he kind of uh, was in the way of a championship for them. I have so much respect, um, but admiration for Joe Burrow. And so he's kind of got like the SEC pulling for him. Uh, I've never seen that from a player. Cam Newton, you know, Auburn loves him. Alabama hates him. Georgia hates him. Mississippi State hates him. Everybody that he played against or could have played for hates him. Joe Burrow, for whatever reason, kind of just witnessing him was enough uh, to, to become a fan. Um, and he's got fans all over the country, although the Cincinnati Bengals, of course, are not one of the premier franchises, but it's as if he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, what if he did, right? I mean, that's the... I mean, that's what we were saying when he was getting drafted. It felt like he's got to go. I, I felt, I still, looking back, and of course I'm a Giants fan, but the Giants were right there, and I felt like they might trade up, and that would kind of make sense, you know, the big market... We'd seen it with Eli Manning uh, bailing, you know, saying he wasn't going to play for the Chargers um, and going to New York. And there was speculation that it might be in Burrow's best interest to do that kind of maneuver. Um, But of course he didn't. And 
So yeah, it, it, he seemed destined to play on a on a big market team, and maybe he will one day. You know, we saw Drew Brees move. We've seen Matt Stafford move. Um, you you got to think he, that every frustrated Cincinnati Bengal fan out there right now is wondering: Is are they going to open up the checkbook and <laughs> sign him to that early extension, and you know, set a new record? You know, because every new quarterback deal is a record. But you know, will they do that early? Hey, the Bengals are in the Division championship, championship game. Yeah. Right? This is um, so yeah, and I think they're well positioned, especially with you know Joe Burrow being from Ohio. It's a lot like LeBron with the Cavs, you know, it's just Ohio tends to get their guys for whatever for reason. For a while. <laughs> yeah, for a while. But um, you know, my concern with Burrow is uh just I mean, that offensive line. He's already, you know, first year he goes out and tears his ACL and MCL. Um, took nine sacks the other day, and he's not a statue back there. I mean, he's kind of known for being um, an escape artist in the pocket. And so Joe Burrow's taken a lot of hits early in his career. He takes them like a champ. You know, it doesn't seem to affect his confidence. One of the plays this last week where he ran for a first down and, you know, pointed like how a receiver does, celebrating the first down. And at that point, he had already taken about five sacks. Um, it was like, this guy, nothing can shake his confidence. Um, but you know, my concern, if I were a Bengals fan, would be protecting him, and um, also you know showing him that you know not only will we invest in you financially, but we're gonna put the players around you to <laughs> to enable you to have a long career. Uh, of course, Andrew Luck at this point in his career was kind of on a very similar trajectory, um, and that ended up being a huge factor injuries. But let let's go to the fun side of this. Does uh, does Burrow have any national deals yet? Uh, as far as advertising, yeah, because someone, yeah, I haven't seen them on State Farm or Allstate or. Um, I mean, I you know you you give me a choice between Subway. having Baker Mayfield as my sp- spokesperson oh. and Joe Burrow, it's not even close. No, Burrow Burrow's got to be the most marketable. It's just that swagger. I mean, he's yeah. real cool. He's you know? fun. He, he's he's fun. Yeah. Um. He's you know, and unlike. Baker Mayfield, there's not all these negative associations with him. Mayfield had some episodes in college that caused a lot of people to hate him. I don't really know. Like I said, Burrow's biggest rivals in college love the guy. Yeah. You know um, what? In, in politics, in politics, we'll talk a lot about likability of a candidate. That guy's got likability. If Joe Burrow ran in 2000, <laughs> 2024, he would be the best candidate of all the uh, athletes. But he would, he would get more votes than LeBron. Okay, so look, I, it's hard for me if we're doing picks on this. It's hard for me to imagine that uh, the Bengals step up and beat Kansas City and no. Kansas City, but it's definitely what I'm rooting for. Yeah, I'm rooting for it as well. You know, Kansas City, uh, it just seems inevitable every year at this point. Last year, though, we saw in the Super Bowl, like they, they could not protect Mahomes, uh, that line. So, you know, I, I, and I don't think this has been their best season, um, but they're like how the Patriots used to be, where once it's the postseason, it's kind of their season. It's, it feels like, okay, well, they're, they're probably going to do it. Um, and on the, on the other side, you know, the Rams, uh, I was going to say a new franchise, obviously not a new franchise, a recently re- relocated uh, franchise that has like hardly any fans. Um, plays in a new stadium every two years, kind of plays. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, they're settled in now, but uh, it's their first year in a new stadium, new quarterback that they traded for, new jerseys two years ago um, that I hate, and 
Yeah, they're taking on uh, the the 49ers, you know, with Jimmy Garoppolo who doesn't seem in today's NFL. You know, I don't know if anyone's betting on him to win a Super Bowl. It seems like quarterback is kind of the position, but, you know, just took down Aaron Rodgers and company in Green Bay. So um, kind of a unique and unpredictable NFC. Well, is Jimmy G the closest thing we have to a Stetson Bennett the fourth in the NFL and his plucky Pro- underdog with their probably with, so. I would say like Gardner trying Minshew. to fire him with his replacement yeah. right he keeps going to the playoffs yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right um it's pretty pretty similar storyline you know it would have been great um of course of course I wanted Matt Stafford to win in, in Los Angeles but um it would have been great to see a Jimmy G versus Tom Brady uh nfc championship game of course the the mentor and the the mentoree um going at it that there's so many you know the sports there's so many storylines if that had happened we would have been like you know how did we not see this coming um but at the same time it would have been the same way with aaron Rodgers and tom brady i think the one outcome no one saw coming was stafford versus uh jimmy g so i don't think it's rigged (laughs) well that does bring up some of the you know, looking ahead, the NFL, like we, we've talked about it. Somehow the NFL always wins. The NFL always yeah. has the, the most powerful stories and narratives out there. We've got some good ones going through the playoffs. But <clears throat> you just alluded to two guys that are going to dominate the offseason, right? Tom yeah. Brady has sort of winked a little bit, suggesting a retirement. And mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers is going to be nothing but fun. For the next couple of months, hopefully to me, you know, and again, Rodgers is great because Rodgers is even like this, he's kind of, he causes so much trouble. He's so great, though, in terms of the advertising and the personality side of it. And he's out there inspiring hope. You know, you go on Instagram and there's Aaron Rodgers wearing a Pittsburgh Steelers jersey, right? Yeah. <laughs> People are just, you know, he's a save, he's a potential savior on top of everything else. Yeah, I know Broncos fans that feel like, you know, he could do what Peyton Manning did when, when he came to, to Denver late in his career. Um, but yeah, also interesting to me that he's kept his, his advertising. You, know, you still see him in every other commercial. Um, and this cancel culture day and age, it's, it's surprising to me. But uh, yesterday, his, his haters were having a field day on Twitter, you know, saying he'd been immunized from the, from the playoffs and um, making all kinds of jokes about his political stances or his medical stances, whatever you want to call it. Um, obviously Aaron Rodgers doesn't care. And that's what makes Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, honestly on the field, he kind of looked like he is kind of over it. You know, you know, how he is, um, I don't know. He's he seemed kind of jaded and just, he's, he, he's got a little Jay Cutler in him. Um, just a lot better quarterback. Well, I mean, some of these guys have so much experience, right? I mean, you know, some of the stats they're putting about Brady in terms of the number of NFL playoff games he's been in. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that they wouldn't be, in a way, over it, right? It's again and again and again. Um, Okay, so, Doug, we will obviously talk a lot more about the Super Bowl as we go forward. Right. Um, The thing that I need your help on. Okay. Is that this week, they announced the halftime show lineup, and the yes. halftime show lineup features Eminem, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, 
I, I don't know what Snoop Dogg is really brings to the table. I think he's just like this symbol that everyone goes, oh, I love Snoop Dogg. I don't know oh, why. Yeah, he um, smokes weed. Kendrick Lamar and yeah. Mary J. Blige. Yeah, so... Well, Doug, first, let me tell you my reaction as the 54-year-old guy in the room. No interest whatsoever. And this is someone that... Look, I do have a strange fondness for Eminem, but that show lineup leaves me leaves me cold. Now, tell me why I'm wrong. Oh man, um, I didn't know you had a strange fondness for Eminem, but yeah, the the lineup. Uh, sorry, I just blanked. I'm not at my sharpest right now, but uh, the lineup is, is really it's Dr. Dre. Okay, it's it's Dr. Dre's halftime show. He's he's a Los Angeles guy made made his music out in LA um, and the surrounding artists are all the artists that he's produced over the years. So um, it's and a lot of that music is produced in Los Angeles. So I think, you know, so let me ask some questions during this. So this is the doctor. So this is Dr. Yes. Dre got a Super Bowl show. And yes. This is what he put together. It's Dr. Dre. And they realize Dr. Dre cannot like perform the songs that he makes. Like he, he's kind of relying on all these other people. So they've made it, and this is the first time they've really done that. You know, normally it's either Katy Perry or Lady Gaga or Bruno Mars or Justin Timberlake. Um, we've seen a couple little cameo artists, but this is almost entirely cameos. Uh, where I'd imagine there's one or two Eminem songs, one or two Snoop Dogg songs. By the way, was was actually, you know, he's actually one of the goats in that world. It's just he's it's like Ice Cube or something. He's been so commercialized that <laughs> people forget you know his don't, original don't don't do color commentary for every jake paul fight if you want to be taken seriously right I mean, <laughs> yeah yeah at this point um uh, yeah i was i was watching the one of the jump street movies recently and ice cube of course is, is kind of a parody of himself in those movies and i was thinking man this guy at one point he was an nwa like he was a feared rapper you know kind of hood guy but he's he's been in are we there yet and and all these movies to the point where i think this generation doesn't really respect those guys um, for their craft, if you will. But Snoop Dogg, yeah, in it. Um, who else you mentioned? Kendrick Lamar is kind of on the newer generation. So it actually, you know, they're touching a lot of generations of, of that genre. Um, of course, the genre is kind of niche in the sense that I don't think that every age demographic is going to enjoy rap and i've i've seen a lot of twitter you know saying like oh i'm turning my tv off for Wait, this so, nonsense so what what genre is kendrick lamar then rap I okay mean, hip-hop so rap, you put yeah. all these guys into the same genre and I'm i mean mary j blige is not you know that's that's r&b um but yeah yeah largely uh it's all it's west coast rap too so it's like a sub subculture within rap and these guys are kind of the the legends amongst that world, Dr. Dre being kind of the forefather, the guy that, that runs the show. Um, so well, I think you you're know, telling and, me to shut up and learn something during this show. Well, you know, Mike, you should watch the, uh, you should watch the documentary, the defiant ones about uh, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre, but it touches on all these different characters and how they all, um, you know, are part of a larger story. So, you know, to me, I view it as as kind of it's not a group, but uh, it is a group of individuals that are part of this the story of the L.A. hip hop scene. Um, and I think that they're trying to touch on you know kind of the local music um, with this show. So 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, my personal opinion is that rap music doesn't translate well in big stadiums. Uh, you can rarely hear what they're saying because of the sound. And uh, it's it's not as good of a live show to me as rock music or pop music is. So it'll be interesting to see how they pull it off. And, you know, of course, it's going to be some kind of spectacle. I don't think it'll just be guys standing rapping. So I don't know what, what else they'll bring into it. But I expect a lot of memeability. You know, the way you described that actually made this much more appealing to me. You know, get sort of not knowing some of the background and the and the connections yeah. that that this is I think you sort of sort of West Coast LA rap scene. Mm-hmm. And obviously these guys Eminem's been around for twenty plus years, Dr. Dre, I think right. goes back to the early sort of when M T V started to have feature more of that kind of music that this the the way you describe that actually makes much more sense to me than yeah, when I watch the 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 hype reel on YouTube. I'm like, I don't I don't know why I care about this. And I I think the problem is, like I said, it's kind of a niche thing. I mean, those artists are massive, you know, mega stars, but the culture. Um, and the understanding of those kind of narratives being told or, or how they all are part of the same narrative, I think is, uh, is not understood by the masses. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how it's received. I'll make one little Super Bowl halftime prediction though. Uh, this just popped in my head. Tupac, of course, um, died mysteriously forever ago. And there's all these theories that he's still alive. I'm not saying he's going to make an appearance at the show, but he's like the biggest part of that West Coast um hip-hop scene and he's kind of the the idol to those guys and i wouldn't be shocked to see uh a tupac tupac hologram performance we saw prince um not a hologram but some form of hologram years back and of course tupac made a festival appearance years back in hologram form so i that's you know i'm i'm predicting that and and uh yeah we'll see what happens yeah it's and again i think you're doing a great job explaining this the the Super Bowl the theme of the Super Bowl show, I took the time to look up the average age of the Super Bowl audience, and it's uh, listed last year I think fifty just short of fifty one years. Yeah, <laughs> That's, that crowd is not gonna love it. I don't well, think. And you also mentioned that you know this sort of this niche or this genre, the Super Bowl is really about the Super Bowl is as mass audience mass media audience as we get anymore. Right, mm-hmm. the Super Bowl draws somewhere between ninety, you know, depending on who's playing, maybe ninety million average viewers, maybe a hundred million average viewers. That's one out of every three people. So this is, like I said, you know, the biggest TV events outside of the Super Bowl or some sporting events draw about twenty million people. You know, less than right. one in ten. Is this the right show? And look, like I said, my initial reaction was. Why, you know, last year they had this guy called The Weekend. And again, I, you know, it's almost set up that I'm supposed to feel like I should apologize for not knowing these people. But yeah. in this mass media event, shouldn't they just be giving the people what they want? Now, the way mm-hmm. you've sold it, it actually makes sense. It's a little bit of something, you know, uh, an important part of the culture for the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. What'd you say the, uh, the age was? I think it was fifty point six, according okay. to the. Because I'm looking, it's interesting, but it used to be perceived that you know older folks hate 
rap music, hip hop. Before that, it was rock music. But of course, now older folks tend to like rock music because they grow up with it, right? So it's moving. Um, Dr. Dre's 56. Yeah. Eminem's 49. Uh, Snoop Dogg's 50. So let, I, let, I mean, me, let me be a historian, a musical historian for a moment. <laughs> okay. Okay. So MTV, I think, is probably the key thing for my generation. And I'm, I'm 54. Right. I don't know when it was, but at some point, you know, MTV, the the hip hop started to invade the MTV mm-hmm. lineup. You know, you can go back to I think it was a Blondie song called Rapture that featured mm-hmm. some hip artist crossover. And if, mm-hmm. the big one I think was it was that Aerosmith song. Was it Aerosmith and Run DMC? Mm-hmm. But you know, MTV had that transition to, and I think the the programming was called yo mtv raps right you've got an important insight in what you're saying that in some ways people are going to be fans and enjoy what they are exposed to mm-hmm. right you i don't think you can say that one musical genre is better than another people will look i got a lot of friends my own age still you know hoping for a van halen comeback right <laughs> it's people get locked into that stuff and so maybe just after my cohort was going through i think that rap kind of genre really took that rap genre really took mtv over and so it's they've kind of it's in a way to me strange how dominant that kind of sound has become over the years because and look no one can sort of understand the death of their their culture rock and roll is kind of dead isn't it doug um i would say unfortunately yeah uh, and there's a lot of reasons and I could do a whole podcast on that, but you know, I, I was thinking about it when I went to a SEC championship game and even, uh, another football college football game in the Southeast this year, walking around the tailgates it used to always be, you know, football game day. You're hearing either ACDC, you know, thunderstruck or, or you're hearing some form of country music, um, kind of stadium country and walking around every tailgate. I mean, there's some of those like there's children around, but uh, every tailgate is playing like explicit, like rap music. Like this is football music now. Like this is what this is sports music. It's aggressive. Um, it's intense. It's this is is more and more associated with the sport, um, with sports in general, and, and with the the audience for football. And so that's something that struck me. I don't like it. I don't like being at a tailgate and and hearing rap music. I like rap music, but it just doesn't feel right to me i guess because i grew up with something else and that's probably you know the sign that i'm getting older <laughs> um, but but uh regardless you know i i do think that football in general is more and more associated with this genre uh than rock uh for example and you know i think los angeles it's something that they pride themselves in and um this is going to be the la show you know this this halftime show and this the super bowl so uh, be I I'll be interested to see how it how it goes. Um, like I said, I don't think rap music tends to do as well live and stadium shows um, as some other genres. But I, knowing these artists, not personally, but just their careers and and you know they're not going to do anything whack. So um, I, I expect them to put on a show, and I expect you know some rejuvenated interest and. In, certain artists i'll be curious to see who puts out music you're kind of stupid not to put out new music if you're going to be performing in the super bowl 
um, I would, <laughs> it, you know, if I were the artist, if I were their manager, um, at least a single. For, but because you look at Dr. Dre's discography, it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while since he put out his own work um, or, or produced executively an album. I guess he did an Eminem one a few years back. But I'll be interested to see if these guys drop new music um, coming up at the Super Bowl. And that'll probably, if they do, you know, those songs will probably be a, a big part of the the football culture and, and sports culture and culture at large political culture as well there's there's a lot of political activism amongst those artists i was looking up some past i was looking up past super bowl shows we're we're into the weeds so we'll we'll end this episode soon here but <laughs> okay. in 1997 super bowl main act was the blues brothers with Dan Aykroyd, John Goodman, and Jim Belushi. Oh, man. I did not know they did a Super Bowl. <laughs> In 1994, Clint Black, Tanya Tucker, Travis Tritt, and the Judds. Country has been blown off the runway, the Super Bowl runway. Yeah. how who Were they the last country artists? I can't remember a single one. Well, you know, it, that's the last, sort of eyeballing this, that's the last really pure country-oriented show you know, a lot of times they like to mix and match. Um, in has and there look, been a has one, there been a Taylor Swift? Well, Doug, this one I wish I remembered this one. I wish they would do this now. Two thousand and three, Shania Twain, and no doubt. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Um, uh, that's a weird one. Right but, you there. Know, looking through this, there's a lot of like this kind of like this like. Lifetime Achievement Award aspect, right? We got Paul McCartney in 05, the Rolling Stones in 06, Prince in 07, Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers, Bruce Springsteen in, in 09. So it's, you know, maybe we are seeing that kind of, that kind of <coughs> Madonna in 2000. Madonna, yeah. Um, the Who. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it, you know, I think you're right about Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, and Dr. Dre certainly qualifies in in that um, department. As do you know, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira did it two years ago, and I can't remember a song of theirs. You know, either one of those artists from you know since 2010, probably that's probably the latest. So, The Weeknd was a little bit of an outlier in that regard. Um, yeah, looking at I, that I, list, The Weeknd is the one that doesn't fit for me. In terms of, the, I bet you awareness of who the weekend is. The, I mean, just the longest out there, the lowest yeah. on this list. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I mean, he's probably the biggest, or in the top five biggest pop artists at the moment. Um, right, pop, but you know what I'm R&B, saying, and, and that's but, what's funny about this, right? It seems like it's a criticism of him. It's not a criticism. It's just for the mass right. market. Is well, this and, someone that's particularly well known? And I'm guessing the answer. No, I mean you. you look, yeah, and you look at these artists like Eminem. The world has known for thirty years. Like Shakira and Jennifer Lopez, Maroon Five. I listened to as a kid. Justin Timberlake. You know, going back to NSYNC. I mean, he performed in the Super Bowl with NSYNC, I believe. Uh, but just another person that the public has known for thirty years. Coldplay, uh, Beyonce, all these Madonna, all these people. It's like they're they're well known by everyone. I think The Weeknd was my generation knows them super well. Um, and I think probably anybody 40 and up was like, who's this guy? Is it a band? Is it, you know, why is he called the weekend? Why is it spelled wrong? 
Well, and Doug, who's watching the Super Bowl? My generation or your generation, right? It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. So let's uh, let's wrap this one up. Uh, I'm recovering from COVID. Doug seems to be in an endless COVID phase here. You uh, anything anything you're looking forward to? I mean, obviously the being championship well. games, but oh, being getting well. well, nice. Yeah, being well. Um, I'm looking forward to being well. Yeah, more football. Uh, you know, Georgia's the champs still, so I'm I'm not really looking forward to anything. I'm looking back on things. I'm just rewatching highlights. That's what fans do. So you know, once they make the commemorative DVD and football to put on your shelf and all that, I'll, I'll probably indulge myself. So oh, you know, uh, you miss that era. Whenever like back in the day, whenever your team won the Super Wheaties. Bowl. You could look forward to the Sports Illustrated subscription package that featured, you know, custom. Oh, I, I actually remember because I have the Giants one, um, and they they gave me a football and they gave me a, a hoodie. Um, but and this when I was real young. But they should still do that. I don't know if they do. They do, and I'm getting it. Uh, they do a a cover, even if it's not the actual cover of Sports Illustrated. They'll do like a daily cover with your team winning the championship. Um, so there's one of Stetson Bennett. Winning it all. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking back. I'm not looking forward to anything. I'm just looking back. Sports are over for me. Um, everything else is just a cherry on top. But sports finished as of, uh, what was it, January 10th? So, yeah. for me, it's good milestone. Went out on top. Yeah. Okay, everyone. As always, much more content at www.fandomanalytics.com in the weeks ahead. We'll be digging in more deep. There's some blog, blog posts out there as well related to audience analytics for the Super Bowl and for the Olympics. A lot more coverage of Major League Baseball negotiations, all with the march to the Super Bowl in the background. So it's going to be a fun next couple of weeks.